we all know the value of having amazing peers, friends, family members, supporters, encouragers, mentors, leaders around us to help us scale whatever the mountain is. But most people don't think about how important it is to bring that tribe of people between the six inches of your own ears, because that can be a very lonely place for many people. It can be a place that's toxic for many people where you beat yourself up, you judge, you tell yourself you can't do it, you get the great idea, and then you pull out your bow and arrow, and then you shoot your own arrow at that idea and kill it before it even gets out onto the field of play. And I think about my own head and things that I've, you know, committed to saying to myself, but when I go into that room with my mentors and those trusted friends, I find a very inspiring and encouraging place. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, here's today's question. Do you have an alter ego? a side of yourself potentially with a whole different set of traits and strengths that you can tap into to give yourself an edge. Now, usually when we hear the term alter ego, we think of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, Clark Kent, Superman, the list goes on. But what if I told you that some of the greatest performers and influential figures on the planet also had one? a side of themselves that they had deliberately built and cultivated to access their own superpowers. Powers like strength, resilience, charisma, deadly focus, larger-than-life presence that may have otherwise remained undiscovered. My guest today has helped millions of people access their alter egos in order to move from their trapped self to their heroic self. More on that later. Todd Herman is a coach and mentor to some of the world's most elite athletes, public figures and leaders, an expert on the topics of performance, mindset, strategy and execution. His work goes well beyond the theory. After over 22 years and 15,000 hours on the field of play, Todd has helped his clients achieve some of the greatest feats available on the planet. Now, I first discovered Todd through his best-selling book, the alter ego effect. Defeat the enemy, unlock your heroic self, and start kicking ass. Possibly one of the greatest titles ever. This idea that we all have a secret identities, dormant versions of ourselves that we keep buried due to conditioning, past experiences, societal norms. The idea really rang true with not only my own life, my own career, but with my experiences working with the top level of speakers and thought leaders. Then I read the book, and to put it really simply, it completely unraveled and rebuilt how I thought about not only myself, but how I show up in the world. 
In this conversation, we went fully down the rabbit hole into the world of alter egos, including how to find your alter ego, not to change who you are, but to enable you to perform at levels you may have previously thought impossible. How learning to trust yourself is more important than being confident. I have to say this one could not be more true than in my own life. How to move from your trapped self and activate your heroic self and the power of totems in helping you tap back in rather than step back out of the field of play. The importance of naming your enemy. Now, not the enemy out there, because as you'll hear in many senses, their name is just completely irrelevant, but the voice inside your head that's currently keeping you small. Finally, why answering the question, who do you think you are, holds the key to unlocking more strength, wisdom, and fire than you ever knew you possessed. A quick warning for anyone listening with small human beings, this episode contains more than a fair amount of swearing, so I'm going to leave it up to you to decide if this moment is the right time to listen. For me, this episode, I think, is hands down probably my favorite of the year so far. Todd's work arrived in my life during a period of time that I just, I couldn't have needed it more. More than that, it lifted off the limits not only on who I am capable of becoming, but how quickly I am capable of becoming. You know, Clark Kent didn't need years of self-help, coaching courses and self-development to become Superman, although, you know, undoubtedly that path has its place. What he needed was an alter ego, strong enough, vivid enough to transform him in a millisecond. Oh, and a phone booth, but you know, that part's optional. For me, that's got to be the ultimate freedom. The freedom to know that you can show up exactly as you choose, whenever you choose. Now, for those of you who are ready to take their journey and influence to the next level, don't forget, Hop on my website or the show notes and download the latest version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It covers the seven areas and the seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most useful when it comes to fast tracking your level of influence. Just pop in your email address and it will be in your inbox in the time it takes to whistle a tune. On that note, sit back, caffeine up, stride on... Pull out your pen and pad and enjoy the wisdom of the guru of alter egos, the incredible Todd Herman. Welcome to the podcast, Todd Herman. It's good to have you here. I didn't know that I should have thrown on some sort of pastel or bluish colored leather jacket because I am losing out in the fashion contest right now. Do you know what? It's funny because you're looking sharp. You're looking sharp. When I have like a capsule wardrobe for the podcast and literally yeah. if you look at any of the videos of the podcast, it's a repetition of three different outfits over and over again. And I was just thinking this morning when I was getting ready for, for this interview, I was just thinking, I really hope no one looks to me for fashion advice because they'd be so disappointed because <laughs> it's just the same outfits. Over I don't know. Over I think you need to, and you think you need to up level your identity around how you are as a fashionista. Um, anyways, it's great to be here and you look fantastic and I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> All right. Message received. I'm going to own it. I'm going <laughs> to own my fashion stakes. I have so many questions for you and genuinely and 
just to say this to anybody that's listening, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to say rare, you know, everybody I get onto this podcast has come into my world for a particular reason. Someone's recommended them. I've come across their work, their work's been sent to me, but it is rare that I get to speak to somebody whose work made a significant amount of impact on my own life during a particular time and has done ever since. And this is one of those conversations. So I'm going to thank you in advance for that and tell you, I am very excited to jump into this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. now I got, now I have questions for you. Um, (laughs) What did I I do? (laughs) Save them. We'll get there. We'll get there. So before we go anywhere though, I want to just, I want to ask you the question that I always ask at the beginning of this podcast, which is what's one idea that's been having a lot of impact or a lot of influence on your thinking. And the reason I ask this question is usually because the people that have the best ideas are usually the ones that find the great ideas first. And so it Mm. can be related to your work, not related, new, timeless. What's an idea that's stuck in your brain right now? So I grew up on a farm and ranch and um my my dad and my mom are i would say that kind of salt of the earth people and they they led us through the quality of their action and not necessarily you know parables and amazing principles that they but like character and integrity was sort of seeping through everything that they they did um, in fact, my father just passed away a few weeks ago and, um, in my province of Alberta, where I'm from, they even lowered the flags to half staff in memory of my dad. So I say that to preface the idea. Um, I was the third boy in the family and my parents knew that I was not going to become a farmer and rancher. <laughs> a lot of that was because I did not get a lot of the very good jobs on the farm that would lead you to want to stay there. There was anytime it was a three boy job, it was always typically a crappy job. And so my parents knew that I was going to go and do something that was outside of their realm. And, um, my dad knew farming and ranching and that's where he felt like his skill set ended. And so when I was going away to college university, he just said to me, um, whatever you go and do, we probably won't be able to like guide you on that discipline, whatever it is, but respect yourself enough to go and tuck yourself under the wing of the very best. Mm. Don't settle for anything less, seek them out and learn from them. And that, uh, my heart beats because of my dad just passing, but that massively shaped my entire life because I am a product of apprenticeship and mentorship. Um, I stand on the shoulders of people who had incredible careers and it greased the slide. It gave me a hockey stick rise in my career because they opened up doors for me when they didn't need to. They funneled clientele to me when they didn't need to. And I got to see how the very, very best actually operated. So I didn't have to guess. And I still operate that way. Um, I'm nowhere done being baked. And I still love to go tuck myself under the wings of, you know, incredible people. Mm. And that just brings us so beautifully into alter egos because, you know, I'm the same as you. There's nobody I know who has been incredibly successful or is still incredibly successful that hasn't. And I love that phrase, tuck yourself under the wings you know, hasn't tucked themselves under the wings and also respect yourself enough. Like that is a phrase I'm going to take with my own children. Respect yourself enough to do this for yourself. 
like what an amazing gift for your dad to have given you and how like you know we're going to get into alter ego now but how much that has shaped your thinking and everything that you've done next yeah like there's been like that statement a few things that my my nana had said to me when i was younger and you know other other people around me that you know they were like i mean i i built up my peak performance and mental game coaching company on the back of very much a science-based approach but i say this to people on time all, all the time i was just on a stage in front of fifteen thousand people in boston a couple of weeks ago where i say like and they were all medical students or aspiring to be i'm like you're a scientist gang but here's what i know there's a lot of unexplainable magic to why some things happen and um and when i look at my own past and these like subtle little nudges that came from outside of me i don't know what forces there were that were nudging at but everything absolutely guided me in some ways to being the person who discovered that alter egos are this phenomenal method to help you transform yourself and it's actually one of the most natural things that a human being could play with or use as a tool to help you pursue the things that you want to pursue because it is difficult to sometimes get a vision in your mind of seeing yourself doing something but it's not difficult to build a vision in your mind of seeing someone else do it so I just find that interesting, huh? And I played with alter egos and I did that as a way of, you know, getting past my own insecurities or my own critical self-judgment. But it was also a way for me to escape away from like some pretty terrible trauma that happened to me as a kid. And, you know, if I stayed stuck inside of that mental frame of not, you know, believing in myself or having the self-worth to pursue things, that was never going to allow me to go in achieve the things that I wanted to achieve. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of nudges that sort of led me over to the world of alter egos for sure. All right. Well, let's, let's go there. What, what is an alter ego? Let's, let's start at the very foundation. What is an yeah. alter ego and why does it, why does it matter? Why has it mattered so much? So the, uh, I go back to when the term was actually coined, it was coined in 44 BC by uh, the great Roman statesman and philosopher Cicero, when he was writing a letter to a friend who had asked him basically like, how have you become so successful? Like, what are some of your quote secrets? So like, even back then people were interested in that. And so he had a laundry list in this letter, but he had mentioned the alter ego um, and he coined the term and it means the other eye or trusted friend within. And that's what its root is. And we all know, you know, like, I just got done talking about mentorship. We all know the value of having amazing peers, friends, family members, supporters, encouragers, mentors, leaders around us to help us scale whatever the mountain is. Um, but most people don't think about how important it is to bring that tribe of people between the six inches of your own ears, because that can be a very lonely place for many people. It can be a place that's toxic for many people where you beat yourself up, you judge, you tell yourself you can't do it, you get the great idea, and then you pull out your bow and arrow, and then you shoot your own arrow at that idea and kill it before it even gets out onto the field of play. And I speak that way in a metaphorical sense, but also because I've been coaching these people for 26 plus years on the field of play with some of the top most elite performers in sports or business or entertainment for a long time. And I just, um, I think about my own head and how challenging of the things that I've, you know, 
committed to saying to myself, but when I go into that room with my mentors and those trusted friends, I find a very inspiring and encouraging place. So now bringing, so Cicero said the alter ego is the other eye or trusted friend within. Now the methodology that I brought bring to people is that the alter ego is uh, a very easy way to build a vision in your mind of what you want to try to move towards. And because it's a mental model that we can use that way, it becomes a lot simpler and easier to build the habits, actions, attitudes, personal philosophies, beliefs as well to get there. Um, it's a new mental model that you get to step into. And because the brain is 7% now going into the science of it, because the brain is dedicated 70% of it is dedicated to the visual cortex. Anytime we don't have a vision of something, it makes it very difficult to build the thing. I mean, we've all done it where we maybe engaged with a web designer and we said, you know, build a great website and then they don't build what we want. But if I was to go to them and say, Hey, I love what Julie has here on her homepage. And I love what, um, you know, insert this person here. And I love this website. If you can kind of put those three components together, the chances of you getting 100% what you want is a lot closer. Why? Because we gave them a vision. So I just say to people, look, if you want to know how to transform yourself quickly, know how to play with your identity. And the alter ego is now the usable form to build a new identity to help me go and win on that field of play or that role, whatever it might be. You know, I was, I was with a group of business leaders yesterday and I was talking about, and it relates really closely to what you just said. I was talking about having friends in the arena. You know, mm -hmm. we've got, usually we've got three choices in life. Well, for me, we've got three choices. One is we, one is we, we step into the arena. You know, that well-known phrase, step into yeah. the arena. We step into the arena, we step off the sidelines, we yeah. go in and we commit to showing up in our fullest way, in our, in the fullest sense. The other one is we sit on the sidelines and we watch the people in the arena, wishing it were us wishing that we were that kind of person, wishing yeah. that, you know, we knew how to do that. And the other one is we sit in the cheap seats and, you know, we, we chuck peanuts at yeah. the people who are in the arena. And I was talking about the necessity of having friends in the arena, like being in the arena on your own can be a very lonely place mm -hmm. and you need friends with you. And it's only just occurred to me in this moment that a lot of the friends that I take into the arena and that you know, very successful people taken to the arena are between their own ears. Mm. Like you, they're the, the person you're trying to step into. They're the successful person that you've seen. And you're like, right, I want to, I want to show up like that. For me, it's even as granular sometimes as hand gestures, as how I move yeah. my hands. Okay. How would such and such move their hands in that moment? Okay. All right. That's how I want to show up. So taking those friends with us into the arena, how, how do we find our alter egos? What do they look like? Yeah. Um, well, the source code is what I kind of call it in the book and, you know, with other people at the source code is like, where, where am I getting that from? And the, um, the inspiration for alter egos come from so many different places. It can be from movie characters or fictional characters in books or TV characters, or it comes from, uh, 
animals as well as animals as a, as a source code I talk about in the book, like a few of the people who um, have animals as their source code. But why did they choose like this one example of uh, a woman who was a she runs like a marketing agency, uh, grew up in Germany, and uh, she actually has this great family history of sort of adventurers and explorers and spent a lot of time in the woods and like her source of inspiration for how she wanted to show up because she was dealing with being someone who was a doormat, right? Scope creep. Like, hey, can we do add this to the project? Can we do this? And she's at her root. She's a an amazing human. She's so kind, so nice. But just like anything in, in nature, there's hyper and hypo. There's too much of it and it becomes toxic and there's not enough of it, which starves you. And so she was hyper nice. Yes, 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 I can do that. Um, and so her source code was to solve that thing. So the source code comes from a specific role that you're struggling with or you're not engaging with talking about the person that's on the sidelines and they're not even getting onto the field. And they're like, but I want to be doing that. I want to speak. I want to write the book. And I have the ideas like they're actually here and I, and I have a voice. I've got some interesting things that I think people could resonate with, but I'm not doing the thing. Okay. So there's many reasons why people choose the alter ego. Um, but that's where the source code comes from. Like what's, what's getting in the way for her, her, thing that she would beat herself up for the most was saying yes, when she should have said no, she didn't stand her ground. So her alter ego was a stag, like a male deer. And when you actually um, understand that males st or stags, they'll fight off bears with their antlers. Everyone just thinks of like the predator always wins against the prey. And that's not the case at all. Um, and so the bear is the client or even herself, really her ego getting in the way and saying yes, so that she can appease and please people. Now, again, I, we don't know where that comes from. You can dive into your past all you want. I'm not a therapist as to why you say yes now, what happened to you when you were six? I don't know, I don't do that stuff. But what I do know is I need to help people perform now. And so her source code was an animal. So it's this unification of what's the problem and then what might be something that represents the solution to it. What's my model um, could be superheroes. In fact, the most common thing is actually uh, people from our personal life. The most common alter ego for people is grandma. Now I'm not saying 50% of all alter egos are grandmas. I'm saying a large portion are uh, grandparents. I want to go there for a second. What? Grandma. What is it about grandma? It took to me like in practical application. I mean, I, I have my grandma and she is certainly yeah. um, someone I draw upon. But why is grandma so popular as a person that you would visualize in order to enable you to tap into something within yourself that you don't usually have access to? So to explain it, I remind people that we are triune beings. We're um, mental, emotional, and physical. And we might have an idea of what it is that we want to go and do. And we know exactly what we need to go and do. So we know, we know the actions, but the bridge that will prevent any idea from getting onto the field of play is your emotional 
relationship with the idea and with the field itself. So if you've got a bad story in your head or a bad relationship with, you know, me getting that idea out there, me standing on stage and saying the words in front of a bunch of people, like I have a very empowering story in my, my head about standing in front of people. There's nothing that would prevent me from getting out on that stage. Nothing. I mean, it's, I have a very positive relationship with it. Not everyone has that relationship. So I say that because in order for any alter, I can't sell alter egos off of a shelf. It has to be a personal connection that you have to it, personal resonance. And so when you think about the inbuilt story that we might have with a grandma or a grandpa or someone that's close to us, there is already an emotional resonance to it. And again, the way that I will teach people it is as a part of the method that I talk about in the Alter Ego Effect book, the thing that makes the method work so well is you are honoring the idea of that human being or animal or whatever the spirit is when you embody it. So when you don't act in alignment with whatever story you have about your grandma, you are dishonoring her memory. Mm-hmm. And that is key because we as human beings, I don't need to teach you how to honor something. You know that. And so if you imagine your grandma watching you, as you say that you're honoring her spirit and you're bringing that into the thing that you're going to go and do, and then you do exactly the opposite of what she would do. Listen there, sweetie. You need to set that thing aside because you're not the alter ego right now. You're not the best version of what you know you can be. Because at the end of the day, the purpose of the alter ego is you know that there is something within you that's there. There's a capability, an attribute, a quality, a skill, whatever. It's there, but it's just not getting out. Who knows why? And so we use our creative imagination as the source code to get into the core of what we're about and bypass resistance in its form because nothing is more powerful as a human being. The thing that we're gifted with is our creative imagination. That is our superpower. That is our superpower. And creative imagination will defeat resistance or fear every single time, every single time. That is, and people have forgotten that. And so that's why for me, the clientele has had such great success. It's because I'm just, getting them to remember really more than anything else, something that we were already familiar with. We already used alter egos. When we were kids, we were very playful with the idea. So the source code has come from many, many different places. Just let your creative imagination explode open and let the source of that inspiration come in. And for anyone who's listening, who's looking for a very practical example, literally, if you're watching on YouTube, as I look to my left, I am staring at um, an LP, a record cover of pink and I have it up on the wall, the performer pink. And for a few different reasons, you know, one of those reasons is, you know, as a performer, I think that the creativity and the world-class performance she puts forward, you know, Mark Shulman, her drummer, has been on the podcast. He's become a good friend of mine. And he was saying, you know, I've drummed for so many different performers in my career. He was like, I've never seen anybody do it while being flung at 60 miles an hour on, you know, a, a, a zip line and swinging yeah. upside down across a stadium. He was like, she just takes it to the next level. So there's that part of it. Whenever I look at that, I'm like, okay, what part of this performance, what part of how I'm showing up, can I just take to that next level where yeah. it's even more of an expression of what I want to put out in the world. And the other thing- but why, is, but why is that so important to you? Why is that so important to me? Really good question, because I feel like there is an autopilot, honest response. I feel like there is mm. an autopilot we can get into 
where, especially in the field of what we do, where we know the words, you know, we, we, we know the message, we know the words, we have a 60 minute version of it, a 40 minute version of it, a 20 minute version, yeah. of it, a 10 minute version of it. And if we are not careful, we can show up as a, nobody else would feel it, but it's almost yeah. like a robotic version. And maybe they would feel it to a degree, but I feel it. I feel it. And so it's a reminder to me to go, okay, what is the next creative level here where the message stays the same, but the, the ability to be able to reach the ability for me to be able to stretch the ability for me to be able to emotionally connect or provide an experience or have an experience myself in my own life that pushes it mm -hmm. to a level that I haven't been to before. She's the reminder of that. She's my alter ego in that sense. Yeah. And she is also, she's also a mother. And that's another part of the challenge. I think as a parent, when you do work where you have to travel frequently, yeah. she has this incredible ability to be able to weave her children and her parenting and her family into what she does. She doesn't yeah. get on the sidelines. She doesn't compartmentalize it. She weaves it in and, and uses what she does as an, as an experience for her children to see the world and to see and to meet incredible people. And so those two ways, she becomes an alter ego for me. And I have many, and since reading your book, honestly, I have, um, I have laminated pictures of four or five and put them up on my bedroom wall. So they're the first, I'm, I'm telling you, your work has had a massive impact on me. There was a yeah. good couple of years there. It was in a previous house um, where I had a laminated picture of four individuals from some who would be famous, some no one would know, some are from my industry, yeah. laminated on my wall, first thing I saw when I woke up. Now that has become the power for me of waking up, you have access to whatever you have access to in that day and it changes yeah. day by day, sleep, no sleep. Sure. But then going, okay, what do I want to step into? What do I want to tap into? What do I want to find? When it comes to, so just taking this idea a little bit further, when it comes to using our alter egos to help us deal with failure, because that's, you know, it's one thing helping our alter egos go, right, this is my field of play. I want to step yeah. like this. I want to play like this. I want to tap this. How can we use alter egos to help us deal with those moments when we didn't, or it didn't work, or things didn't go the way that we want them to? Well, I would separate that away from alter egos in that in the world of helping people perform, you know, expectations are one of the more difficult things to try and unravel from people's internal narrative. So I'm going into this speech and I have an expectation that people are going to stand up and love every single word that I say, and I'm going to get seven standing ovations. Screw the one standing ovation. I'm going to get seven today. Like just, <laughs> I, I've never, I've never seen seven. If you get seven, can you, yeah. I, I want to Neither have I, but all of a sudden I have a new KPI for myself. So no, um, uh, but so that, that world of expectation, um, how can the alter ego help with that world? And again, like anyone who's trying to pursue anything, if you're not willing to embrace failure, like that's, a, that's, that's what makes 
entrepreneuring or CEOing or like trying to build something big or trying to create a big movement behind something. The reason that all of us get so inspired by seeing someone else do that is because fundamentally we know, man, did they ever have to walk a lot, walk across a lot of glass in order to get there? Boy, I wonder how many arrows did they dodge in order to get to where they are? How many times did they get hit by the arrows though, and then had to crawl across the broken glass just to get to the first way station, bleed out for a bit, bandage themselves up, and then they actually got back on the freaking road? Are you kidding me? They went like, that's because I see it every day. I just had a call with a PGA client today, young golfer, trying to make the tour. And he's been walking across broken glass, crawling across it for the last almost year. It's been 10 months, but this last six weeks, he's just hit a phenomenal stride. And the entire time I kept on telling him, boy, is there going to be a wicked chapter at the end of this one? Like, man, this is going to be the chapter, right? Because you've entered the cave, man. And, and now everything's coming at you. You know, that's the hero. It's the hero's journey model of Joseph Campbell talks about entering the cave. Like there's in the story, there's so many times where in real life, the hero, which is all of us in our own story, we, we don't enter the cave, which is we don't take the action. We stand on the sidelines. We don't go onto the field. And the more and more that we flex that muscle and that rep of avoiding entering the cave, we're now building a very solid narrative in our own minds of doubt wins, you know, um, resistance wins. And that's, that goes back to the quote from Mark Twain, when he said, most people die at 25 and don't get buried until they're 75. And that's because they're stop entering the cave. So to those people, how can the alter ego going back to your actual question? How can the alter ego help with that is again, bringing these forms into our own mind we can actually start to create instead of a merry-go-round of conversation in our own mind where we beat me up the alter ego can hold a higher ground and say it's okay you know like or if you feel like the doubt setting and it's like well who are you you can't wear those glasses those glasses are meant only for super richard super richard would never doubt just because failure hit just because the arrow came along so take off those glasses, reset yourself and put them back on because listen, buddy, there's a lot more inside of this human form that that force out there has no freaking idea what's coming for it. And again, this is all stuff that I teach inside. That's, that's the chapter on ground punch in the book, like the incredible Hulk wonder woman in, in her movie, when it feels like the force is going to win. And he's throwing everything he can, the evil can, th and, and she's not doing too well. And then she finally smashes her two wrists together and it sends out this energy blast. And, you know, it's like, oh shit, Wonder Woman's here. Now, the Incredible Hulk blasts his fist into the ground with the ground punch and sends out this energy wave and knocks over all of the villains that are coming for him. And it's like, oh no, we've made the green guy angry. Like it's okay to use that energy within because it's going to come for you. That's the point. How much do you want this, Julie? You say you want it, but do you want it? And that's the stuff that I like finding in the stories of everyday humans' lives as they're pursuing things. So yeah, 
I would say to change the relationship with failure, it's like, no, 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 bring it on, bring it on. You know, I, I really believe that one of the most fundamental questions in our lives is the question, who do you think you are? Because I don't, I don't know about you and what you do, mm -hmm. but I know for me, you know, over the last 20 years, that one, I've seen that one question or our response or our fear of that one question keep so many countless numbers of incredible human beings, incredible ideas, incredible businesses on the sidelines, because we, we fear that someone will ask us, you know, who do you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Yeah. And we, and I don't know about you, but I also ask myself that question. We fear the moment we ask ourselves, you know, oh, who do I think I am to do this? Who do I think I am to stand out as an expert? Who do I think I am to stand up there in front of all those people and say that I know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's so much new information comes through every day. Do I really know what I'm talking about? Like things are changing. You know, this question, who do you think you are? And I think that alter egos become this beautiful way and what i just saw you do there for anybody who's listening i just advise you to watch the video on youtube of that exact moment and what happened to your body because there is something that happens when we answer that question yeah of who do you think you are and we answer it in a way that is compelling and emotional and has gravity to it and your entire body just did mm. that thing just then and I feel like our alter ego becomes the answer to the question. You want to know who I am? You know, wonder, mm -hmm. you want to know who I am? I'm about to show you exactly yeah. who I am. You want to know who I am? Ground punch. Yeah. Like it's the answer to the question. Does it feel so, the same way to you? Yeah, hundred percent. That's why I dedicate a chapter to it in the book. And I, and I give people the script on how to answer that question. I call it a response proclamation. It's one of the first things I get everybody to write. Go for it. So how do you do it? Yeah, you can even Google. Don't do it now. Listen to the end of this episode, please. Um, <laughs> response proclamation. You'll see a video of me talking about it. So I did one. I'll use the example in the book. The script of it is from a um, Olympic downhill skier. Now imagine this. You're standing at the top of those gates and you can't control the weather. And there's gates in front of you that you got to weave around at a breakneck pace on side of on the side of a mountain that might be windy that day. It might be icy conditions. There might have been you might be the last one in your heat that goes down after 20 other skiers have already carved grooves in around. And it's there's ruts in the in so the fuck what? OK, so who do you think I am? I'm the girl who's gotten up every single morning at 5 a.m to get my reps in. Who am I? I'm the one who has had 832 days straight on that hill, in the gym, on the floor, meditating, overcoming injury, recovering from injury, getting injured again, recovering from injury, and that's the cycle. Who am I? I'm the one that some little girl, <laughs> because this is exactly what happened. Um, I'm the one that some little girl is going to sit cross-legged on the floor watching me and turn her head over her shoulder and say to her mom, I want to be like her someday. So who am I? I'm the motherfucker that's going down this hill. Watch me. And so, yeah, I think it's an important question for all of us. And then you write it down. You write it down.
Like you've got to own the six inches between your ears. You've got to own the emotional resonance in your body. Like you've got to be more somatic. So when you were talking earlier, Julie, about pink and like taking it to the next level. And yes, we all can get into the rhythm and the routine of a performance. And what you're talking about, which is extremely, I mean, not to use the same term, but it's a next level thing. Only you, someone with as many reps, could understand that that is a homeostasis that happens amongst speakers. And so um, you, what, you're, what you're really trying to call on into yourself is, I wanna get out of my head and into my body. And that's one of the things that I really encourage with people is, listen, I built up the largest mindset company in the world, okay? And I sold it to Real Madrid in 2014. No one has put more people through that training protocol than I did with the peak athlete, you know, millions of athletes around the world and then including other um, professionals in other disciplines. And the very last place that I see um, wanting to make a problem for people is your mindset. Mm. And, and so much content nowadays is about, you gotta change your mindset. And I'm like, no, you've gotta get into your body. You've gotta get it moving. You've gotta feel the thrust of what this thing can do. It is a mechanism for electrical energy that can impact other people. If you stay inside of your own mind all the time, it's gonna be really hard because typically what you're doing is you're stringing together a bunch of cobwebs that's gonna be very difficult for that idea to break through. Get into your body. And that's what you're talking about when you're saying getting to the next level. Your best performances on stage, Julie, and you don't have to agree or you can disagree or whatever, are probably ones that you really can't even remember them because you were just in it. And that's a body thing. And so that response proclamation, just like it did for me, and it's not even my response proclamation, it's someone else's, but I can go back very easily to that moment. And I knew what she was struggling with, but I also knew what motivated her. And the idea that some little girl was gonna get so motivated to look over her shoulder and say, I want to be like her. Like, pff, <laughs> I'm doing it again. It doesn't take much because I'm in my body because I care. And I think at the end of the day, one of the things that can help more people get out onto their field is you don't need to be better than me in the intellectual understanding of all, because I mean, I'm a hard guy to beat. I got 19,000 hours of one-on-one -on -one coaching time. That's not counting group and speaking and training and, but, and this is, it's our first value in my company. No one's going to outcare us. Nobody. That's the treadmill I will die on. I just want to pick up on that moment. And, you know, we can see how much that moment touched you twice then when you were talking about the little girl. And I think that's a very powerful people thing for people to tap into. So we've got the response proclamation, but there's an, there's an element of that mm -hmm. where Again, in having this conversation with the business owners yesterday, we were talking about, you know, it's hard to be what you can't see. And so, you know, by all means, have a vision, find other people who have done it. But there's another part of that, and it's often a very unexplored part, which is it's hard to be what you can't see. So who do you want to be the clue for? You know, mm. this decision to be the clue. Who do you want to be the clue for? You might know them, you might not know them. It might be that little girl. We don't know who she is. She doesn't have a name, yeah. but we can all see her. And she was obviously a very important trigger 
and kicking that yeah. response proclamation into your body. Yeah. So deciding who you want to be the clue for. And I know for me in my career, there's been lots of moments where that has come to the rescue in moments where you can't find it for yourself. You can't find it in yourself. You're, you're thinking, why do I do this? Why well, I don't know why I do this. I've completely forgotten why I said yes to this or why I get up so early every morning mm -hmm. and continue to put myself through this. And it's in those moments that remembering who I have decided to be the clue for is the thing that pushes me over the line. It's the thing that gets me down yeah. the mountain yeah. or over the finish line. Yeah. So just thinking about, you know, who do you want to be the clue for and keeping that, keeping that very front of mind. And by the way, sometimes the best answer from my experience of doing this, it's, it's, it's oftentimes the seven and eight year old version of yourself. Oftentimes it is like for many people, like when I, when I break it down, I'm like, you know, to that skier, I'm like, well, why, why that little girl? You know, what is it like? What does she look like? And I'm like, what does the, what, what colors the rug that she's sitting on? And she described the rug that she sat on. So that's the message to myself. Like, man, look at all the crap I've, I've gone through. And so I'm pointing my skis down the hill and I'm going to just grip it and rip it because that little girl had a dream and I am the current vehicle to make that dream happen. And it's not about, and it's not about the time it's about. So in the world of performance, and this is probably the most important statement I ever make to people. We can talk a lot about a lot of things like expectations and confidence and, and different things. But at the end of the day, every single thing, it's, it's the final question that I ask myself if I'm going to put out a piece of content. The only reason I'm going to produce the Alter Ego Effect book or encourage someone to do something is because ultimately... I want people to trust themselves. Trust is very different than confidence. Confidence is it ebbs and it flows. It ebbs and flows inside of a game. But at no point in time can someone take away how much I trust myself. And trust is where the planes of time collapse together. So um, preparation is past. When I think about the version of Todd 90 days from now, going into October, whenever this goes out, don't know, but 90 days from now is going to be October 20th. I think about how, how, what can I do that's going to reinforce that guy's level of trust within himself? Because that's the one thing that he's got. A lot of things he can't control, but he, if he can trust himself more. So how can I prepare that guy? And then in, and then in the future, when I'm looking at my next 90 days, that's my plan or in the person in the starting gate, what's the plan for the way that you're going to get down this hill. And if you have confidence and you trust your plan, great. That's another tick. But then in the present moment, that's when we need to let go because why people can't let go in the moment is because they don't trust their prep and they don't trust their plan. 
But when you trust those two things, what it does, it brings you into the moment so that it allows you to let go. And so that's why we use trigger words like let go and let God, let go, grip it and rip it. Like whatever it is for you, it's like, that's your anchoring. It's like, it's a, it's a resonant message to myself. No, we did it. We did the work. We prepared ourselves. We've got a good plan. Now let's just go see what the hell's out there for us because I trust myself. So everything that I want to anchor towards people is do as much as you possibly can in your daily actions to help you build more trust with yourself. Because when you do that, you're a really, really hard person to compete against if competition is something that you index towards. Or you're a really, really hard person to knock off their, um, their way. And, and trust is a resonant, it's, it's DNA level stuff. Like you, you can't take my trust from me because the moment you take my trust from me, I've lost myself and, and damn it, I'm not going to let that happen because if I've lost myself, how can I be a good servant to my kids? How can I be a great husband to my wife? How can I be a good leader to the people that I want to lead? I love that idea of the future self. I've got a very good friend and she often uses that line. And every time she, she uses it, it's a reminder to me, she'll be doing something and I'll be like, you know, what? she'll be prepping some food or she'll be out, you know, doing some reps on, um, on her exercise regime, or she'll be, you know, banking up episodes. She has a podcast, banking up episodes of a podcast. And I'll be like, what, what are you doing? And she'll be like, I'm taking care of my future self. That's mm, what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause two months yeah. from now, my future self might have a sick kid and not be able and be very glad that there's a banked up number of episodes here that I can call upon, you know, four weeks yeah. from now, my future self is going to need that. And this idea of separating yourself out in the me that is now and what will make my future self trust me even more. Mm -hmm. It's by taking care of them right now. It's by doing the thing that takes care of them right now. Yeah. I call it feeding your future self, like feed your future self. And then the way that I visualize it is I have an alarm. My calendar is over here on the right. So I have an alarm that goes off on the 89th day. And it's about creating a ritual for myself. And I go into my own mind. I have a, I teach people how to build mental movie theaters and stuff. So I go into my mental movie theater and I, I create a moment where my future self, my future me has been fed in a certain way. There's certain, you know, things that are going on in its world. Like, you know, it could be business is great. Leads are flowing in speaking gigs are getting booked. Um, it could be, uh, the relationship with my wife is just off the charts, insanely good. And my kids are doing well, wh whatever it might be. And I want to create a moment in that 89th day where I'm meeting my future self and I want to know what is that conversation going to be? So there's two me's that are standing there. There's the present me that's in the moment. And then there's the one that's just like, it's a day away from happening. It's, a, it's just like, it's just on the other side of the wall. And I want to know what that conversation sounds like. What are they going to thank me for? Like, Hey man, like, just want to say like, you know, I, I know you've been, you know, kicked in the dingleberries a couple times this last few, uh, few months, but you kept going. And I just want to say how that's showing up for me right now is 
there is a very different level of stick to that I have, because even though that was a hard day, you didn't stop. And I just want to say thanks for that. The other side is you didn't notice this, but it's also translated into a different way that your kids are showing up. My three are Molly, Sophie, and Charlie. And Molly was having a very hard soccer game and they were getting their butts waxed, but she just didn't quit. She kept going. Like you're, you're, you're modeling to them certain behaviors that are going to really stick with them for a long time. And the reason I say that is in the context of teaching people visualization, the, the word alone is a bit of a misnomer because we think visual, but we have five senses available to us to use. And one of the more powerful ones is auditory. So I try to get people to think about like, Hey, Julie, imagine you're walking off that stage and you embodied pink. And she, she meets you at the end of the stage and she says, I know, I know you used me out there. And I just want to say, you killed it. You killed it. Like, that's what I would do out there. Like, I don't know how you, how you did that, but, and that other thing that you did, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go use that too. I call it being a fly on the wall. Like there is a um, few things more motivating to other people than the idea of the sounds of other people's voices saying nice things about them behind their back. Because a lot of people walk around thinking that people are saying some pretty shitty things about them behind their back. And I want to help people build a stronger conversational internal mechanism in their own heads of what the future me is going to thank me for. So that in those moments when I am going through kind of a crappy day, I, I don't pack it in maybe, or sometimes I do, despite that I'm pushing, pushing, pushing the world of sports performance. Sometimes you got to lay off. It's called restoration. Like you gotta, you gotta rest the body. You gotta, it's just, you, you, there's no amount more forcing that's going to do anything about that. So I just encourage people to like, if you're thinking about your future, you, what are they going to say to you when you meet them? I want to talk about activating your heroic self now, because I think you, you've hinted towards it a number of different times in a number of different ways. Um, I know you have in the book, you talk a lot about, you know, your trapped self versus yeah. your heroic self and then how we move from our trapped selves to activating our heroic self. Let's first go with the trapped self. What is that? And then we can talk about, because I've learned a number of different ways. And again, you've mentioned a few of them very quickly throughout yeah. to start to activate this heroic part of me, this part of me that taps sure. into aspects that aren't available every day. So the trapped self, um, you know, in chapter three, I kind of show this model of, you know, what I found is the reason I call it a trapped self is because it's the, uh, it's the part of you that ends the day and you're like, I didn't say the thing I wanted to say, or, you know, all the things I wrote down that I was going to do today, I didn't do. And, and the reason it feels trap or the reason I say the trap self is because there are sets of qualities and attributes and traits, you know, that you can go and do like, you know, that you can make the phone call. There's nothing, you don't have broken fingers. You don't have the inability to like, you know, hit numbers on a thought you can do it, but you didn't do it. And so it's trapping 
a self and a version of you that wanted to get out there and it didn't do it. And so oftentimes the trapped self's world is very much an experience of worrying about what other people are going to think of them. It's, it's criticism, it's judgment, it's underneath the white, high, white hot lights of performance, it's being in the arena, on the field, what are people going to say, how terrible am I going to look, you know, like I've, I haven't done, I'm not truly master, I haven't done, you know, 4,000 hours on stages before, and it's like, it's all that stuff. It's a story that isn't empowering and it traps you. So to your question, how can we get the heroic self more out there? the world of the heroic self is no different. There's still people out there. There's still, you know, problems and challenges and bogs and fires and like thorns and, you know, things that try to slow you down and stop you. That isn't changing at all, but it's you're deciding how you want to show up in that world. No longer am I going to stay tied to or trapped to some idea of what other people think I should be, but I'm going to say, no, how I want to show up in this part of my life or in this role is this way. This is what feels good for me. And then when you can follow that up with the behaviors and the actions that reinforce that idea of who you want to be, that's what makes you feel heroic. Despite the results that you get, there's no guarantee that I'm saying that you're going to all of a sudden win all the championship games. That's not what it is. But if you can end the game, you can end the speech and say, maybe everyone didn't stand up, but it show, I showed up the way that I wanted to show up because that's meaningful to me. That's when you feel heroic to the self, to the idea, to the seven-year-old, eight-year-old version of you that would like to watch from the sidelines and go, now that's the chick that I'm glad I grew up into. And again, just to... Talk about how practical this this idea is. You know, I can remember this is actually before I read your book. I remember I had stepped away from the business that I, you know, I had built with a with a business partner for fifteen years, a long time, and I had stepped away, and I was just on the verge of starting my consulting company. And I had been asked. I was in that kind of you know that wilderness zone where you're not quite yeah. you're not that thing anymore, but you're not really sure what the next thing is that you are. Yeah, and 100%. Sitting in that wilderness, and somebody asked me to come in and do some coaching with them. And I, I was like, "Yeah, sure, you know, I'm sure. Why not?" And yeah. I remember showing up to that meeting, and I remember exactly where I stood. I was stood on Kent Street in the heart of Sydney, and looking at this big building I'm about to walk into. And I remember my whole body language was the person that was in the wilderness. Right, my whole mm. my whole body language was. I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm not quite sure what it is. You know, I built this thing. Maybe I'll never be that good again. Maybe that's prime is gone. Like, whew. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember saying, you know, I, in my head thinking, you know, you can either go in there as the woman who doesn't know what she's doing next. The woman who, you know, thinks that maybe she's done the big, you know, the most interesting yeah. thing she's ever going to do. Yeah. Or you can go in there as the CEO of whatever company you build next. You know, who do you want to be? And the moment I decided, like, I can't tell you how my body changed. Oh, yeah. Like, I am, I've been playing with some ideas of the name of the next company I was going to build, which was ended up being Influence Nation. And I was like, no, I'm, I am the CEO of Influence Nation. Now, admittedly, Influence Nation does not exist yet. And that is not a title that even exists yet. Yeah. But I'm giving yeah. it to myself today. 
And, you know, walking in there as that, my body changed, my energy changed. But more practically than that, the other things that changed is all of a sudden I was looking out for different conversations because I'm the CEO of Influence Nation. Mm-hmm. And my job is to build Influence Nation. So now I'm listening for opportunities to build this company. Now I'm yeah. watching for moments to have conversations, to get referrals to other people. It's a yeah. whole different way of showing up. And so that's just an example for anyone that's listening about, you know, the practicality yeah. of these of these switch points of activating your heroic self. Well, and what you're talking about there is, you know, cause I've been talking about when I, when I started to find this whole world of alter egos, I was about five years into my, my business. So I started coaching in 1997, this sports performance, and I was working with, you know, teenage kids. It was, I called myself the accidental entrepreneur because I didn't actively go and try to build this thing. I would, I was very good with my own mental game when I played um, college football. I was a nationally ranked badminton player. And so, but I'm not physically gifted. I'm not six foot four and 240 pounds or something like that. Um, but my mental game was my strength and I read it and I studied, I learned more about like, just, I needed any edge I could get because it was a need. I didn't have the physical skill set. I needed to find another edge. So I was volunteering at a high school coaching football. Uh, these parents, I started teaching the kids more about like their inner game and like, no, like do this and do that. And you don't need to run so many cone drills and your preparation sucks and, you know, do this instead. Anyways, these kids started getting great results. And, uh, one of the moms asked me if I would mentor her son. And I said, yeah, sure. And then she was like, she literally like leans in and she's like, okay, how much do you want to charge Todd? She's like coaching me into being a, being a business owner kind of thing. You know, I was 21 at the time and I was like, oh, how about 75 bucks for three sessions? And she's like, great. And that was my price from 97 until 2000. Um, and so when you're cheap, you get a lot of reps. So that's just one great takeaway. Um, but it was about five years in when I was starting to get like higher and higher caliber, some pro athletes. And this was about two years into me. I uh, was mentoring under Harvey Dorfman, who's known as the Yoda of baseball. He's the greatest mental game coach I think that's ever lived. He wrote the Bible of the industry called coaching the mental game. And he was funneling me some pro athletes cause he was just too full. And, um, so they would say things like, Oh, I've got this identity to step into. I've got this alter ego. I've got this persona that I have. And I'm like, and for me, I was like, Oh, I did the same thing. I used an alter ego when I played football and, you know, and then when I was coming into business, I was so insecure about how young I looked. So I went and bought a pair of non-prescription fake glasses and I stepped into super Richard and that's where super Richard was born. And that was because, Richard's my first name, actually. I've always gone by Todd. And I just was like, I'm 21. Todd sounds like a young name. And Richard sounds like it's very professional. And so let's go with Richard. And, um, but he was the comp- super Richard was the composite of Superman, Benjamin Franklin, another hero of mine, and Joseph Campbell. And all three of those were there to solve three problems I had. I was not a very, I wasn't very good at being articulate at what I was doing. And I loved Joseph Campbell. He was so articulate and I wanted to borrow that skill. And Benjamin Franklin, I mean, the man was the most unbelievable shapeshifter. He had seven careers in his entire lifetime. I'm like, I want that guy's confidence. And so that's what I, that's what I was boring. And then with, um, Superman, I was waking up with all the intentions of doing something great that day. And I was ending it doing nothing great. I didn't make the sales calls I needed to make. And so, Superman, man of action. So Super Richard was born. 
but these athletes started bringing this up and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I do the same thing. And it wasn't cluing in that this was a, a red line that was weaving together the best of the best. And then it was a lady that was preparing for the, um, the games in Athens. She was a swimmer for the US Olympic team. And she, it was just the way that she worded her alter ego. I was like, domino dropped in my head. Wait a second, this is an actual thing. Interview all clients, past clients. How did you do it? Built out the method for it. Um, and, and that became what I was um, known for. But along that, along that way, um, I call it identity-based performance. And this is all wrapping back up to you being a CEO. I learned that one of the things that traps most of us is, is our identity. And it's the many roles and ways that we perceive ourselves. Even our language is bad. We think of ourselves in the form of I and you. And if I ask you, how are you doing? Now, if our relationship is a professional one, you're going to probably answer that question through the lens of professionally. Oh, good. Business is good. But if it's your mom asking it or a dad or sister or a friend, you're going to, it might be a little more broad. Oh, work is good because they know more of you. So identity-based performance became, I'm like, oh, wait, no, we need to build an identity custom built for a field of play. That's why alter ego should never be for your whole life. It should only be for a role that you have. And it's, it's why personality tests are always bad because they don't give you good results. Personality tests can be very functional and useful if you answer them through the lens of being a CEO. Now, all of a sudden, you're not like, hmm, well, when I'm at home, I'm this way. And when I'm at work, I'm this way. No, answer those profiles through one identity and you will breeze through it a lot more easily. You won't get stuck on a question because we're amorphous. We, we shape shift all the time based on environment, based on stage, based on field, based on people around us, based on role that we're stepping into. I say all that because what you did brilliantly, you chose CEO and it was empowering in your mind. So what I encourage people to do is think of identities, alter egos, as a useful form, the most useful form, I think, of making transformation happen quickly because on the top of an identity sits beliefs, attitudes, habits, behaviors, and actions. So while everyone else is out there teaching people about habits, I get it, been coaching people on it for three decades almost, but nothing will transform someone more quickly than someone who decides who they're going to be in a specific role and says, I know how I'm going to show up in that role. And you decided that as CEO. And then what happened? Boom, reticular activating system opens up and you start filtering in the world to help you become better at that one thing. So mm -hmm. identity is a powerful form of transformation, but only when you decide what it is, as opposed to what other people are deciding for you. You know, you and I before, which is, you know, a habit of mine, before I press record, we dove into a particular idea. And I just want to bring it back into this conversation now. You were saying that when you, when you coach people, one of the things that you do when you spend a full day coaching and you coach some of the, you know, the, the best and the most brilliant minds in thought leadership on the planet, one of the things that you do is you get, <laughs> you get a fully printed out cardboard version of them and yeah. you put it in the room with them. Yeah. Why, why do you do that? Yeah. Um, We're talking about identity now. Yeah. One of the, one of the um, 
powerful mechanisms that an alter ego is doing for people is it's helping you to disassociate from your own story or narrative about what you think you can or cannot do. Because when I'm stepping into an alter ego, like my parenting alter ego, which is a con confluence of uh, Mr. Rogers and my own dad coming together. So Mr. Rogers, very well known in North America. Um, and, but it's helping me to disassociate from whatever idea I have about myself as a dad. And now I'm stepping into what are known entities to me as dads or parents. And so I am big believer in using props and it helps people get out of their own head. And I want to bring stuff into the physical world. I want to create artifacts, um, and, and totems for people. I talk about it in the book, the power of having a uniform even. And so that artifact of Julie in the corner, you and I can both sit back and you're going to sit next to me in the chair. I'm going to say, Hey, Julie, sit here. I want you to lean back, look over at that woman right there. And what does she need in order to get to the next level? So even that we're not, not, I didn't, I'm not looking at you at the table and saying, Oh, Julie, what do you need? It's a, it's a hard question for people to get into, but when I can disassociate and I can look at an object over there and I can say, Hey, Julie, what does she need over there? Even the word she it's third person. It's just another, like something that we train people on is knowing how to speak to yourself in your own mind in the third person, instead of what do I need? Or it's what does Todd need? What does super Richard need? What does, what does he need? Um, multiple studies have been done on this from the performance side of things. When someone is performing in physical activities and they speak to themselves in the third person, they will, um, increase their performance over someone who speaks to themselves in an affirmation type way. Like I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. That's why affirmations are pretty weak in the way that most people would teach them. Um, but what does she need over there to get to that next level? It allows you to just clear your head a little bit, objectify it. You can think more clearly because you're not doing it. She's doing it over there. I've seen it happen hundreds of times because I've done hundreds of cardboard cutouts <laughs> with people and it's, it's just powerful. So the final thing is it allows us to be more playful. And it is, I, I, I tell people that in the world of flow state or um, getting into peak state, the zone, the final golden key that I've found that unlocks that better than anything else is an attitude of playfulness. Kids do it. They're very easy with it. From the ages of six months to seven years of age, they're basically fluttering in and out of theta brainwave state, which is where the zone is um, naturally. And we just have too much of our frontal lobe being active and we're in alpha and beta too much. And playfulness brings us into theta um, far better than most other things that you could do. I was just feeling into that moment with you and, you know, who knows one day we might do it just because I'd love a giant cardboard cutter of, of yeah. myself. I just think that would be probably really in a blue leather jacket, Julie. I need, I need, like, the, yeah. I need the full picture. <laughs> She'd be rocking it <laughs> just to have that moment. But what I can imagine just having just kind of dropped into it then is if you asked me what she needed, as opposed to what do I need? Mm -hmm. If you ask me what I need, I immediately run it through the filter of what I have to do. And so if you ask me what I need, I'm going to filter out a bunch of responses because either A, I don't want to do them. B, yeah. I've done them before and they didn't work. C, yeah. in this moment, in this day, I haven't slept. I have young children. I don't have the energy. And if I say it yeah. to you, I might have to do it. Yeah. Whereas if you ask me what she needs, it's totally objective. 
she needs this, 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 this. Now ask me if I'm going to do those things or if I want to do those things. Separate conversation. Yeah, that's a different question. Yeah. yeah, different question. But if you ask me what she needs, boom, it's immediate. And there's no filter. There's no, there's yeah. no lens that I'm communicating that through. Yeah. You also, you touched on something there and you've touched on it a few times. And I just want to quickly go there, which is the power of totems. And again, mm -hmm. you know, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and not watching, you know, there was one very specific moment there where you took your glasses off. You were talking about super yes. rigid and you took your glasses off, put them on the table, and then you put them back on again. And the power of totems when it comes to tapping into our alter egos, because I can tell you the day that I read your book and I had taken four days, again, being totally honest, I had taken a five days, five days out of my family. I had an eight, this is, I'm probably going to get emotional. I had an eight week old baby and a toddler at home. So taking five weeks, five days out of my family was a big, big deal for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done it if I didn't feel like I was kind of on my knees. And yeah. I just, I was trying to show up in so many different areas of my life, a lot of which curveballs were happening, you know, mm. plus, you know, you're not sleeping. And I needed to get my head straight. I need to get my head straight. And I have an incredible husband and, and partner. And he supported me, supported me in doing that. But I took your book with me. So your book was the book that I read wow. during those five days. And at the end of those five days, and this is just leading into the power of totems, the end of those five days, I walked into a shop in Manly, which is one of the beautiful beaches. In yeah. Manly. I walked into a shop in Manly and I bought myself a ring and it was, it was a pretty cheap ring, but it had a crown on it. And that became my totem for a wow. very particular aspect of my life. And it is kept still in my bag, in a zipped up compartment in my bag. And in those moments that I need to show up as the queen and we, you know, we say queen, everybody has a different version of what that means. It only really matters how that makes me feel. Um, I would put that ring on and that would be my signal to my body that you are, you know, not mom covered in egg yeah. right now. You are not this person over here right now. You are the queen right now. You are mm -hmm. the person who's going to make this happen. The person who has to hold this together. So massive backstory. What are totems and why are they important? So we have a lot of really great ideas that get passed to us through the world of spiritual traditions or self-help or personal development or, or leadership. And um, I've always indexed towards how can I make that thing physical? How can I bring it into the world um, so that it's represented with something um, that I can see and that I can touch? And so a totem and an artifact in my world is it's either your uniform, it's, it's clothing, it's, it's a physical object. Um, it's the glasses, it's a small pebble from your family's, uh, farm and ranch or acreage. Um, and because you have such a strong relationship with where your family comes from, that rock represents the entirety of your family's integrity and character. And, and it's their name. Cause I have one. <laughs> so you can tell. And, and it sits inside of my left-hand pocket. Um, anytime I leave 
my place. And that is me carrying my family with them. Because the way that I think of there's a, you know, of all the roles that I have, another very important one is Citizen Todd. Citizen Todd goes out into the world. Now, Todd, he's got his own challenges and there's stuff, that's, but they don't have to become someone else's problem as well when I'm out there. And so that means that when I go into the Starbucks, if I'm having a bad day, I can, Citizen Todd, he leaves that back there and he goes out and he is treating other people well, um, whatever that might mean. So it's, a, it's something that's physical, that means something to you. And that's why so many people like yourself, they have cheap jewelry or they have cheap things. It, it's not about how much something costs. It's about where you were in your life when you got that thing. There's a story that's there and you picked it up and it was the equivalent of like, no more. That's the ground punch moment. Sometimes we pick up these artifacts in a ground punch moment when we're making a decision and the word decision in Latin, its root means decidue, which means to cut away. It's like, no longer am I going to be this way? No longer am I going to act this way? No longer am I going to allow these circumstances or situations to ride me like they are. I'm going to ride them. I've got the reins. And that ring means that to me. And so it's just something that you can use. It's for your own you know, mental health. It's for your own story. It's for your own way, your act of getting into it. The other part of it is I want to create on-off switches for people. So I tell the story in the book of um, the, the tennis player who, because of their values, they valued fairness. And because of those fairness values, when they were beating someone really badly on the court, this like little internal unconscious part of them would start to take the foot off the gas pedal. And that would allow the other person to get back into the game. And if you know anything about sport, momentum is a very dangerous thing. Because an average player with momentum can beat a very good player because momentum breeds confidence. Confidence is not something we start with. Momentum is typically the thing that breeds confidence. That's why I care about streaks. I don't care about your habits. I care about, have you done it 10 days in a row? By the way, I don't care if you like it. I care that you're just doing it. So streaks build momentum. Momentum creates confidence. And now momentum plus confidence that creates the final thing, which is if you've got someone that's now certain that they can play with you and beat you, boy, are they dangerous. So this athlete was the perennial, she should be winning championships, but she's not winning championships. And so I worked with her and I realized that this is her core thing that's getting in the way, which is fairness, which means that she was feeling bad for the other player. I switched it around and said, no, you're not doing that person. You're doing that person a huge disservice because by you taking your foot off the gas pedal, they are not getting the full experience of who it is that you are, how hard you've worked, how much time you've put in. And they need to walk away from that game, that match, knowing exactly who you are so that now they have a delta difference of, oh, if I want to get to that level, I need to level up but you didn't do that and you're not doing that. And that person's walking away and you might not, you might be robbing that person of a better career. So that's being unfair. Fairness is you letting everybody know what it is that you've got so that they've got a full and complete story of what and who it is that you are. So I say that because in those moments, she had her own totem. 
and it was the way that her sweatband was on her um, uh, wrist. When she would start the game, she would turn it over. She would flip it halfway and imagine the, the underside of the wrist. And I'm not going to say who it is or what it is, but her alter ego is now staring at her and watching her the entire time. And the moment that she starts to let her gas off the pedal, she has to flip it back around because how could she ever dishonor the memory of that alter ego? So it's the switches. It's the on off. It's my glasses coming off because I'm not showing up like super Richard right now. I'm not being confident, decisive and articulate. Come on, buddy. Now, and some, and just what happens is like, I'm just showing you on the video, but like these arms on the, on the glasses ended up becoming the trigger. It's like on off on off. And so that's, that's how we practically use the body to help us perform. You mentioned a word there. And, you know, before I let you go, I want to, I want to touch on that word, because you said one of my favorite words on the planet, and that was certainty, yeah. the power of certainty. And I first came across certainty, there was um, a speaker it's, it's probably 20 years ago now, and you may well know him now. But back then, 20 years ago, we both kind of came into the industry at the same time. And we became friends. And my business partner and I, we used to laugh because he, you know, he would show up into this room and he would just say who he was and what he spoke on. And you'd be like, you're not, you're, you're not doing anything. Like, I know you're not doing anything right now. How are you owning this room? And then someone would ask him how much he is and he would just name this figure and you'd be like, what? And <laughs> he would, you know, everybody's got a story about this particular human being, just an incredibly fine human being. You know, someone else has got a story about him where he was trying to get customers, trying to get clients. And so he would make hundreds, like hundreds of calls and they'd see him at the end of the day and they'd say, you know, how's your, how your calls going? And most people, you know, get that many no's would get beaten. But no, he was like, I don't know what's wrong with these people. They just cannot see the value that is available. And he would just do everything which such with this level of certainty. Now he is now one of the top 1% of speakers in the world. Hmm. And we have this kind of ongoing joke that if you asked this individual, if you asked this person, you know, to talk on astrophysics, they never would, but people would probably pick yeah. them to because they have this level of certainty sure. about them that makes them absolutely compelling. Yeah. And I have noticed that often we, we wait for confidence when actually what we need to be aiming for is certainty. Mm -hmm. Certainty is something that has a gravity to it that is very right. hard to explain. It's like trust. It's DNA. Yeah. It's DNA level. I love that. What, my final question to you, what have you seen people do when they make that leap from waiting for confidence to stepping into a mindset, a DNA level of certainty? Uh, there is a level of charisma that I would, that I get to experience. And it's like, a, it's like a different resonance level. It's a different energy that I, that I get from those people. Um, I would say the biggest thing that I've seen from people that step into that and experience it is their quality of their decision-making is off the charts. Now that wouldn't be what people expect. But when you think about how many people are standing at the precipice of a decision, 
and they have many decisions that they haven't made or there are many decisions that they're waiting on. Um, and that's because a lot of times, fundamentally, people are waiting for the confidence to show up or they're waiting for some other new bit of information that's going to allow them to say, oh, yeah, and now I'm perfect for that. Um, someone's come along and they've, you know, rested the sword on the left shoulder and then on the right shoulder uh, and say, yeah. you are now. I talk about the clouds parting and a sunbeam hits you on your head. Angels start singing and suddenly it's like, and you are chosen. Go forth. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. Um, so that's it. It's like. And I mean, listen to the average person you're like, maybe there's something more inspiring or motivating that might be there. I'm if you really listen to that and you go and you ask yourself, man, if I now started making decisions with a clear mind and a clear heart and a clear being, again, that's triune, that's mental, emotional, and physical. When you just make the decisions and there's no resistance that's there, it's because you're just, you're just fully certain that you have the capability to handle what's ever there. Like that's just a decision. You can just, anyone can make the decision right now that no matter what is gonna th get thrown your way, you'll be able to handle it. Because how we know that to be true is if you're currently listening to this podcast, you've handled everything that's come to you. Now you can talk about the quality of the handling. You know, I wish I could have done that one better or whatever, but you're still here. So no matter what, here's what I, and so if you just, fundamentally know that about you, not believe it. Because again, certainty, trust, and knowing that's the helix. Mm -hmm. That's the DNA. Knowing something to be true is very different than believing it when you know that you can handle it. That's why I made that reference earlier. It's like, no, bring it on. You like, I'm, I'm just not going to stop. And what I found is the world seems to stop throwing things my way that would prevent me. Now, do I still get challenges? Yeah. But the reason I say that the world stops throwing them my way that are perceived by me to be obstacles, it's because I don't view anything as the obstacle anymore. It's just a known part of my path, my path. There's going to be people who try to tear me down. There's going to be people who try to make fun of alter egos or some way. There's going to be people who, you know, whatever, you know, um, I don't care. Todd, thank you so much for your time, for your book. And again, I, it's rare that I get to say such a personal thank you to somebody, but wow. I appreciate everything that you put out in the world. I have so many, so many other questions. Um, and we'll do a part we'll, two. Maybe we'll do time. a part two. Part yeah. two of the rest of my questions. But thank you for your time today. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea, or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea, or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, 
reduce it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.